It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the wheelhouse. On a scale of 1 to 10, he's going to hit a 10 on every nice guy mark until he gets out on the mound. And then he's going to chew you up, and he doesn't really let you go. Starring Jerry DePoto. And Jerry DePoto to the plate with a 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. To see what he's done this year, Jerry to just despise walking guys even more than he did last year, to work the edges of the plate better than any starting pitcher, maybe better than any pitcher, period, in Major League Baseball. And Gary Hill Jr. That's Aaron's only way of scouting. He doesn't care about anything else. (laughs) (laughs) How they look coming off the bus. Man, oh man. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. That's right. Once again, it is the Wheelhouse Podcast. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, and Jerry DePoto as we record this before Game 1 against the Toronto Blue Jays, the final leg of this nice long homestand to open up the second half. Jerry, it's great to be with you once again. It is great to be here. It's been a while, actually. And it is a gorgeous day, and there are a lot of Blue Jays people here already. The bus (laughs) let out. (laughs) You know, this is – I can can boldly say that this is the series that I anticipate the most every year. Because how can you not want to be in the ballpark when it has this type of buzz to it? Obviously, it's a divided house, but it's sold out or practically sold out every time. It's always in the peak of summer, so it's always great weather. I mean, there's a buzz and an energy when the Blue Jays come to town that is not replicated by any other team. What, what are your feelings on this series? Same. You know, I was warned when I came here, like, oh, wait till you see, you know, Blue Jays. It's it's a fiasco. The, they, they take over the ballpark. I think they've been energized series in all the years that I've been here. I was on the phone with Alex Anthopoulos earlier today, and and he said, "Hey, just what do you really think of this series? Do you hate it? <laughs> do you love it? You know, because as a, obviously the former GM in, in Toronto, and and he said I was always fascinated at how well our fans turned out there, and 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 I said, yeah, they're. I said I'll let you know on Monday. You know, like last year when we swept them, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there, there have been other years where I've not been thrilled. Well, the Mariners find themselves in a, a, a spot that they did not foresee coming, and that is without Jared Kelnick for a long time at this point. Um, Scott spoke very openly about it. We all have seen and or heard Jared's comments, his uh, emotionally charged comments. He, for those who maybe saw a shortened clip on social media, uh, we were there when, when he spoke, and he, he couldn't talk for minutes, minutes, because he was uh, crying and felt like he disappointed so many people. I'm curious your thoughts at the time when you first heard the news and now that the waters have calmed a little bit, how you feel now about it as well? Yeah, you know, when I first heard the news, I was disappointed. And for for reasons, because now we're fingers crossed overnight, hoping that, that you know, x-rays or, or tests come back negative. And, and that's never a great feeling when you go to bed. But emotions are what they are. And in the heat of competition, and I, I said this this morning to, to John Stanton, our chairman, I, I said, I'd be lying if I said I never had that moment as a player. And I'm pretty sure any other player who's ever played not named Mariano Rivera, who I'm not sure ever, not only did he not show the emotion, he probably never had the moment on the field that would have resulted in you know, the thought of that. But funny story, this is in the late 1990s, I'm, I'm 
closing for the, the Rockies, and I blow a save, and I come walking in the dugout, and, uh, and I've got my, my glove in my, my right hand, and I get to the dugout, and I'm, I'm fuming. I'm irritated with myself, and my manager was Don Baylor, who was sitting on the, the dugout bench on the high shelf and, you know, just kind of looking at the floor like sometimes you do after you just had one pulled out of your teeth. And then I, with my glove in my hand, I took a swipe at the, the dugout phone that was attached to the wall and popped the, the phone and the box came off the wall and landed, one piece landed on the bench. The other piece toppled to the floor as a quiet dugout. Don looked down at the phone on the ground and then looked back at me as calm as, as you can possibly be and said, wasn't the phone's fault. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, you learn over time. And, I, and, and like, like JK, I could have broken a hand, and it, but I know I did it. And I can't, I can't not remember that I did it. And I can't not remember the many teammates that I saw do things like that. It's just unfortunate for him and for us that, that it's going to keep him off the field for an extended length of time. You know, hopefully he is back before the season's over, but we don't know that for sure until it, it really takes shape. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a crusher. It's a crusher for us. He, had, he was having a breakout season, and, you know, I know he was enjoying the things that he was doing. He had just gotten, you know, back. He started off smoking hot. He went a little cold, and then he found a nice groove, and the at-bats were, were turning back into what we were watching for those first six weeks. And most importantly, and, the, you know, the message to Jared is, the result is the result. You know, it was a strikeout on a on a backdoor breaking ball that was his third best pitch <laughs> that froze him on a on really what was maybe an unhittable pitch against the guy with maybe the most unhittable stuff in the league, you know, at least not named Matt Brash. 100, 400, 5 miles an hour, you're down in the count, you battle back. I thought that was one of Jared's 10 best at-bats of the season. He it was a phenomenal at-bat. It didn't end the way you want it to. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a lesson learned. I'm sure he knows now either wrap some towels around the bucket or, you know, come in and find another way to just clear it and move on because he did have a great at bat and he is having a breakout season and he is such a big part of what we do and we're going to miss him. And more importantly, I think he's going to miss it. You know, he's going to miss the playing. This, he is wired to compete, which is why he reacts as emotionally as he does. And and you see it in the, the inability to, to articulate, you know, how important it is for him to, to not be playing and and in some way when it comes out, you know, on the water cooler. <laughs> it's it's just part of it for him and, and hopefully it's a lesson learned and, and it won't happen again. You reference it through the ups and downs. He's was in the lineup every single day. He was providing a lot defensively. Really everywhere. We've seen him all three spots at times this season. How do you envision that spot playing out for the time that he's going to be missed? Well, I mean, it could go any number of ways between now and the trade deadline. You know, some of that is going to be dependent on how we play. But minimally in the short term, we're going to give the younger guys some run. You know, Cade Marlowe made his major league debut uh, here yesterday in uh, in the, the day game with Minnesota. With Taylor Trammell, who's having a fine season in AAA and has a fair bit of experience, could be Zach Deloach, and just give these guys some run and and see what they can do. Uh, you know, it's it, there's sliding doors create opportunities, and you know the the door slid yesterday, and we'll see what Marlowe can do with it, and you know how long we how much leash they they get depends on where we are in relation to the postseason you know wire. Uh, and what we choose to do at the deadline, or do we continue to give those those young players some run? 
As you bring up the trade deadline, that is obviously quickly approaching. It's funny how the baseball calendar works. You've got this whole first half, and everybody looks forward to the All-Star game, and obviously all the hoopla surrounding this year's All-Star game in particular. You go through the break, and then, oh, my gosh, the trade deadline's <laughs> coming up. I mean, like, it gets real fast, and I can't even imagine from your standpoint, Jerry, with the draft being worked into things. We'll talk about that shortly. Where do you see this team and the deadline right now? Obviously, there's so many moving parts between right now and when the deadline actually comes. There's only so much you can say. But the overall approach, you, Justin, and others within this organization. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you actually said something about the draft because like, what was previously a break <laughs> is now, you know, the, the draft leads into the trade deadline. You know, we've been stuck in the middle. We're right in that gummed-up group of teams that, that I think – they're good teams. We are a good team. I think the Yankees have a good team. I think the Red Sox have a good team. There, there are a number of teams in that space that could go one way or the other. We, we've had a tough time escaping our relationship with 500. You know, truly, it's we are five and five in our last 10. I think we're 10 and 10 in our last 20. I think we're 15 and 15 in our last 30, and you know, or it's something like that. And we've not been able to win more than four in a row or lose more than four in a row. And I think that's reflective of a very talented team that has just been wildly inconsistent on one side of the ball or the other. And we will use these last 11 days leading up to the deadline as some type of tell on, on how we should ultimately behave. But our plan hasn't changed meaningfully in the, the years that I've been here, possibly with the exception of last year, but even that fits this category. We're always looking to figure out a way. How do we get better within the season we're playing while broadly thinking about ways that we can continue to grow in the, the following year and beyond? So, you know, where last year's deals fit into that, Luis Castillo was minimally going to be with us for a year and two months. You know, it's, so we're constantly thinking about this year and, and the adjacent season and or more broadly, the ability to grow. Flashback, this is... Ty France, this is Luis Torrens, this is Taylor Trammell. This is, these are the, the guys, it's Andres Munoz who wasn't going to pitch in the year we acquired him, but was more about the following year. And we've done these types of deals pretty frequently. Now, we did it in 21, and what was a very unpopular deal with, with trading Kendall Graveman. And, but in that same cycle, we picked up Tyler Anderson. We picked up you know Abraham Toro. We picked up Diego Castillo. We'll always look at ways we can balance out present and future, and that's the way we're going to go into this, you know, deadline. Is is we're we're trying to figure out ways that we can address building a better, deeper offensive team for 24 and beyond. If that includes buying shorter-term contracts that can get us over, you know, a bridge to the next wave of players coming from our system, great. If we can do a little bit of our free agent shopping this year at the deadline. We can do that with players who, like Luis Castillo, have a, an extra year or two years on a contract. Those who might have a player option or, or an option that we can be creative with. We always try to take advantage of this time as, as an early shopping opportunity. And, you know, because come August 1st, you don't get to shop anymore. And, and now you go into the off-season markets, you know, and with the exception of, a, you know, a high top end in this market, it's it's not nearly as robust in, as either of the last couple of free agent markets. And, and, you know, the trade deadline for a team on the bubble like we are should be an interesting time. 
You know, you reference you're with a lot of different teams kind of making the same decision as we go down the stretch. And I find it fascinating with there are a few obvious sellers, but where they're at in the cycle, they might not necessarily have a lot to offer those buying. Is your sense a lot of teams making a decision in the last 24, 48 hours about what direction they're going to go in? Is it going to be not much and then chaos right towards the deadline? Is that your sense? So I was asked this question earlier today in, in a different way. But, you know, we how active has this market been? Because so many have said, ah, it's just been really slow. Mm -hmm. It's not really slow. The, the market, in effect, the conversations that lead to the trade deadline all began last week in May, uh, which is wildly early by the standards of the league we, we work in. And that is almost exclusively because of the relocation of the draft. Because at, the, at a certain point in June, we all go underground for about three or four weeks. And, and taking a call that isn't related to the draft, the, the, the player agents, your scouts, whatever it is, is just different. And now you've got your major league season playing out. You've got a draft and critical decisions there and, and a lot of, uh, of the importance associated with getting those picks right and, and balancing your, your, your bonus pool. And then in the midst of it, the trade deadline is beating down your door and, and teams now will do a lot of preemptive calls to prepare themselves for, you know, what might happen should this team stay in a similar position, you know, or or fall off. And so we've been prepared for this for a while. We had initial talks during late May, early June with numerous clubs. You know, as soon as the draft closed down, we started those talks up again. Now we're to the point where, you know, it's it's maybe getting to one or multiple calls a day or a week with with variety of teams. It's really going to start to escalate by you know Tuesday Wednesday of next week and, and get interesting you know that being said we are in the time where somebody's schedule is going to be really relevant to what they do at the deadline if you are playing in a softer pocket of your schedule right now you could be thrust into a buyer's position if you're playing a more difficult part you, you might be more conservative and, and hold back because something could swing three, four games in the next week or so and really change your, your, your outlook because there are so many teams, so many teams within four or five games with one another with 60-some-odd games to play. That's pretty gummed up. And there are some obvious sellers, but as you said, they're probably in the building stages and they don't have necessarily that, that, the types of players that send teams over the edge in, the, in this deadline period. So teams are going to wait. It'll be a later market than most. We are usually the first bell ringer in the market, and we're not even close to that at that present time, and I don't know when we will. Well, let's combine the trade deadline and the Major League Baseball draft, Jerry, by <laughs> asking you, how much does it pain you that this sport does not allow people that do your job for a living to trade draft picks? <laughs> You know, you can trade them, but there's only one, the only draft pick you can trade is a compensatory draft pick. Man, come it's on. A, it's, that's nothing. And that's it's nothing. A, well, it's in theory, it's nothing. Although, you know, <laughs> th that was what brought us Isaiah Campbell. You know, that's a that's a draft pick that we were able to acquire via trade. And, and uh, you know, so there's that one. And unsurprisingly, 
prior to this year when we actually had comp picks of our own, the only other time we ever had a comp pick in the eight years that I've been here was the first time we were actually able to get somebody to engage and trade it to us. So <laughs> you know, I, it was on brand. You know, we, we, we did that thing with the with the Brewers at the time in the part of uh, a trade for Omar Narvaez. But, um, you know, I love the idea of trading for draft picks. I think there is a general fear that if, if draft picks were being shuttled around in trades, especially at trade deadline time, that too many small market clubs would have traded off their draft picks for major league players in the effort to compete now. And I actually think it's the opposite of that. I, you know, I, I think there's, there's such an awareness among you know, mid-small market clubs in our league for where, the, where they lie in the, on the spectrum they know that they need those young growth players. They need young major leaguers to impact their roster. And at, at, at you know, zero to three type players are, are important for teams in, on the bottom 15 uh, on the payrolls. And, and I think, or even in revenue markets. So th that's, I think the league's concern with that back, you know, in the seventies when they determined that you're not going to be able to trade draft picks, that has flipped and if you if you open that up to the possibility of trading draft picks if you opened it up to all the teams i think you'd find that the the bigger market teams would be the more likely to trade off their their high picks in the effort to to gather up the you know the, the now help to get to the postseason and that may produce a little more parity in a league that that tended to get a little top heavy in the 80s and 90s and i say all that in current baseball there are an equal number of mid-low market teams that make their hay doing what they do, I guess, led by the Rays. And, and you know, they've been doing it for a while. Capitalize on what the market will bear. I, I love the idea. As you can tell, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would love to be able to trade for draft picks at a, at a more regular. You notice I, say, did, I did not say trade away draft picks, but trade for draft picks because it's how you grow. Okay, this this could be a ridiculous question, but and I guess it depends on where the organization is on their timeline and what that particular draft is. But would like your three draft picks that you had on the first round this year, which is so unique, obviously, is that less valuable than the number one overall pick? We talked about it this year because you know, and I've said this, I was on record as saying this. This was the most talented group of high school position players I've ever seen in the draft. And as a result, because high school position players comprise such a big part of the draft pool, this was maybe the most, the deepest or potentially the most impactful draft class I've ever seen. And, you know, I could go right to the top of this class. Paul Skeens is maybe the best college pitcher that, that we've ever seen. And you could fill in the, you know, since Steven Strasburg or since Mark Pryor or so. He's in that conversation and, and, and maybe, you know, more, I, I guess, comes in the door with more now chops to go pitch in the big leagues than just about anybody I can remember walking in the door, maybe since Ben McDonald, you know. And, and uh, Dylan Cruz, you're not going to get anybody more polished as a, as a college center fielder. And, you know, Max Clark is, is 
could have gone number one in any draft other than this year's draft. And, you know, we had three first round picks in this draft. You know, one was a comp pick that we could have traded. We opted not to. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and one was one was roughly a gift from Julio. You know, we showed faith in him, you know, by keeping him out of spring training last year. And he went on and won the rookie of the year. And we got the first designated rookie of the year comp pick as a result. That was not a tradable pick. But, the you know, those three picks – we took three high school position players who we truly felt and still feel in any normal draft, all three of those kids go in the top 15 picks in, in any draft, not name the 2023 MLB draft. It's, you know, it's, it was such a deep pool and you know, thrilled to do it. Glad we didn't trade our picks because having seen, you know, our three young players come through here and, and take their batting practice rounds here at T-Mobile, we're pretty excited about where it goes from here with that group. Outside of them being high school players, is there a common thread with the three that you took? A uh, common thread is we think they all have the, the upside to potential. You know, we, we grade on the, the 20 to 80 scale in, in role. So we, we feel like they have the ability to be role 60 or higher players, which is an extraordinary opportunity to be picking three players like that at the back end of the first round. Colt Emerson does it in a very different way than Johnny Farmello, who does it in a different way than Ty Pete. Colt is like your steady, eddy, bat to ball, move it around the field, really smart baseball player. And when you watch him take batting practice, you can't believe he's 17 years old. It's a just dropping the left side lasers, the right side line drives. It's, you know, and a very clear approach to what he's doing fun story about Colt Emerson, you know, as we were going through our interviews with all these players, it had a general stock question for each of them. And we interviewed a lot of high school position players who we felt like had the potential to be in our mix. Many of them played together on the summer circuits mm. or for Team USA, uh, both of which was, you know, Colt was a part of. And at the end of each interview, they were asked the question, you know, all right, the 22nd pick is on the clock. You're already gone. Who should the Mariners pick? And to a man, all of the others said, oh, you got to take Colt Emerson. You know, and he's the best player. And, and uh, it's, he's the best player. He's the leader. He's, it's a, it, was, it was truly a, a full house of, of showing how many of them were that complimentary of his leadership, of what he brings as a teammate, and the fact that if they were to pick somebody in the box to go get the hit, that's who they would pick. And uh, great bat-to-ball skills. I think he's going to be a multi-dimensional hitter who does a lot of things the right way. Uh, we are growing rich in low minor league shortstops right now, and I feel like Colt has the baseball IQ to transition to just about any other position we would like him to, to transition to and carry enough bat to do it. Johnny Farmello is like your fun athletic it's a he's a 70 runner on an 80 scale he has the potential to have 70 power on an 80 scale he can really he can do everything on a field he's he is uh he has a chance to be you know a, a real difference maker in the middle of the field which is hard to find especially when you're picking 29th in a draft but again this is a top 15 pick in any other draft couldn't have been more impressed with both kids and, and, and the way they presented their, their emotional maturity, how ready they are for the opportunity. Uh, my funny Johnny Farmello story is that, you know, these, again, they all play in, you know, against each other and they know each other. And Ty Pete, who is a big personality in the group, 
you know, Johnny knows Ty. They, they are the two fastest high school players in the draft class, uh, at least as measured at the MLB Combine. They were number one and two. And, uh, you know, and Johnny beat Ty by a little bit in the in the, the 60. And Johnny came in and he took his BP and he's hitting his line drives. He's spraying it around. It looks like a pro round. He's not hit a ball out of the ballpark yet. And uh, he turns around and he said, how long should I hit? We said, hey, until you're tired, man, but don't hit too much. You know, it's a, it's it, you're, you're already a Mariner. You're not proving anything <laughs> to us. And uh, and he said, can I ask a question? How many how many homers did Ty Pete hit? And we, we said, you know, he hit two, but they were prodigious. <laughs> and and he said, OK. And he steps back in the box and the next three balls he hit were homers. <laughs> and when he was done with the third swing, he dropped the bat and he said, I'm good. <laughs> and it was, uh, I thought it was phenomenal. And Ty Pete, you know, Ty is both, both Colt Emerson and Ty Pete are 17 years old. Johnny's 18. Ty and Emerson were two of the youngest players in this draft. And which usually is, is signals if you are this good, this young and, and, and it stands out that your tools are fully developed the way they are. It's, it's, both of these guys get stronger, and the world is their oyster. And, and Ty has a huge personality. He's fun to be around, really mature, smart kid. Uh, they were all going to good schools, you know, UVA for Farmello, Georgia Tech for Pete, Auburn for Colt Emerson. You know, they're, they're, and Ty Pete, is, he walks in the room, and there's a, there's a thing about him. You know, he's got some electricity to him. He's got a, a, like a terrific, like a golden smile. He's fun to be around. And when we called him on draft night, we had, he's 17 years old now. We, we have a room full of Mariners personnel and scouts and Scott Hunter, myself. He's, we got him on a FaceTime. And, uh, and as soon as the, the picture pops up on the screen, you know, his, his face pops on the screen. It's like this, the, it, it just appears. And he said, my boys. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'd never met him before, you know, other than, the, you know, his draft interview with us. But phenomenal kid really well adjusted and incredible tools i mean he hit he hit some of the longest home runs we've seen in uh in these you know post-draft workouts where they hit with the team throws 95 off the mound he's a 6-3 runner it's a you know a combination of power and speed and athleticism in the middle of the field that you just can't find you know, and he couples it with an enthusiasm. He said, "I don't want to play like the old man's game. I want," he said, "I want, I want the game to change. I want it to be fun. I want it to be lively." And 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 I feel like he has both the skill and the personality to do that. He's such a fun player to be around, and and he's got a, a beautiful swing. You know, it's it's one of those like butter swings that when he when he cruises through a ball, it just he launches it and it it leaves the bat with some real authority. I'm really curious a couple of different things about the the in-person meet and greets, the interview sessions. Do you ever find yourself, you, Scott Hunter, whoever else is in the room, can those potentially be blinding in a way? Like a guy wins the room so much that you start to overlook things that maybe means that he shouldn't be drafted. Oh, I think that's right. You know, there's it can be, which is why we shrink the room. It, it is not me. It is not Scott Hunter. It is, it's just Andy. Uh, and we learned this lesson some time ago because this is what Andy does. You know, it's that, just Andy McKay. Just Andy. Yeah. And the kid. Yep. One on one. And is this know, is this a common 
tactic, do you think? I don't think so. You know, it's a, but it's something we started doing about four years ago. And we still, you know, with kids that are that are up and down the draft, we might do, you know, we might have other members of our, of our mental skills teams visit with them via telephone, via Zoom. Uh, we may have, you know, a variety of, we, we may administer tests, you know, like, like other teams and the league does. We get, you know, we, we, we are part of a group that uh, taps into uh, what we call a sports sense, which is a, you know, a, a, a baseball aptitude, mental skills, you know, adaptability type of test score, coachability, we'll call it. That uh, that players eligible for the draft will submit, uh, and and each player generates a you know a score. And the we're we're a part of all these programs, but about four years ago, you know, we would do it intermittently uh, in our early years here. But about four years ago, when we started to really ISO on the players we were most interested in, who we thought were going to be in our draft pocket. We just started putting Andy on planes, and he goes and meets them in their space and, and visits with the kids, sometimes in his kitchen, sometimes at his high school, sometimes, you know, it, and it, sometimes it'll, it'll be a dinner with, with the player and his dad, you know, or, or in one case it was, uh, you know, a family gathering in the kitchen and, you know, Andy sitting at the table with mom and dad, and, and you learn a lot about the kids when you're in those spaces, and Andy comes away with an impression of who they are. And even he, you know, as, as skilled as he is in this area, will get, you know, he'll he'll come away with a wow, this one blew me away. And it's and he can't help in the draft room when we're talking about these players, but be affected by what he thought of that meeting because, you know, as as it and Scott and I have talked about this dating back to when we first retired as players, and and we were talk about what makes a, a major leaguer a major leaguer and at the end of the day it's about the makeup you know it's you get into the to the pro bottleneck and you know the the emersons and the farmellos and the Ty Peets have exceptional tools but if you don't have the makeup to put with those tools they're just tools and, and uh and you will see a lot of players that don't get out of a ball because they can't marry the two it's it's a work ethic it's a it's a it's a, an aptitude to play the game it's a willingness to make adjustment you know uh, it's it's a belief in in a system and and I think you know one of the ways we've been so fortunate you both have met the the, the kids that we've drafted through the years you know we have kids that that are adapted now and in some cases now they've grown into men but you know they they range from 16 to 18 year olds and, and like like the group we're talking to now or about now to you know in the early years Kyle Lewis or an Evan White who were you know more mature college juniors. It's a it's a phenomenal thing, but if you spend any time around these three kids, if you spend any time around Cole Young and Harry Ford, and you, you start going through, you know, the, the group of players that we've been fortunate enough to draft, there's one commonality among them, and it's that they have fabulous makeup, and they're well adjusted, and they're, you know, they get into our system, and they can thrive. And I you you know Andy's been a huge part of of our successes here and in, in our programs and and this is another area where he makes a huge impact. You draft a lot of guys, right? Uh, twenty two this year. Twenty two. Who's the one that nobody's talking about that you're saying, man, I'm excited to see where this guy goes? Aiden Smith. Aiden Smith was is also eighteen years old, a high schooler that we think again in, in many years is probably a you know a comp Brown type pick and. 
you know, we were for, thought he was one of the best high school position players in the in the in the draft class. Certainly, when we were you know on the clock, we we picked we picked Aiden in the fourth round. We had a deal with him all set up ahead of time, uh, an overslot deal to try to push him to our spot. We were trying to take advantage of our draft, you know, our slot bonus pool, which was the time uh, when we went on the clock at pick number twenty-two. We had more money to spend than the rest of the draft than any other team in the league. Uh, some teams were able to cut bonus out of the early picks in order to move it late, but you know technically we would we would have had more than than, than anybody else, and and we used it to our advantage. I think we pushed uh, we pushed Teddy McGraw to our third pick. We pushed Aiden Smith to our fourth pick, and we thought both guys Aiden Aiden Smith had every chance in a normal draft to be a comp rounder. He is physical. He's he's got power he's a plus runner he's another guy that has a you know a grade 60 arm he's a center fielder now but he's six foot three and could you know conceivably grow into a, a real corner outfield thumper and and a quarter outfield thumper with with big time athleticism you know another multi-sport guy uh he's down in arizona already getting rave reviews from our group like how the heck did we get this guy in the fourth round <laughs> i said it was that kind of draft i mean it's not like anybody missed it it was just that kind of draft and uh you know and that that throw teddy in there as a as an alter teddy is not too dissimilar from where we were with brian Wu a handful of years ago he missed the season due to an internal brace procedure but you know when he's healthy we thought he was one of the three or four best college pitchers in this draft and and i think that was an opinion that was shared by many in the industry on the top end he bumps 98 99 with his fastball he's got a two seamer and a four seamer his sinker is wicked yeah all you gotta do is watch it on video and you know you'll say words that we probably shouldn't say on the the podcast his breaking ball spins at as high a rate as anybody's in this draft he's got to change up you know, it's a it's an electric stuff package. He's a physical guy, and uh, we just have to wait until he gets healthy. And our information says that you know he should be healthy for spring training, and and we're gonna take advantage of of a system that I think has proven its ability to do the most uh, with guys that have this kind of package of stuff and an aptitude. Teddy's a Wake Forest guy, where they have very advanced pitching programs where they do believe in a lot of the same things that we you know teach and and work with and and his uh he comes through the door i think kind of built to be a mariner and we'll see where it goes but we feel like there we could score you know another guy that should have been a first round talent who by virtue of injury got pushed to the third round you won the names in this draft here we go. Teddy, what? Aiden, I mean, Ty, Teddy, Ty is Johnny he, Farmello. I mean, you, I mean, it was a clean sweep in the first yeah. round. Clean I, sweep. I was three whole, for three. Yeah. I was wondering when we were going to get to Aaron's scouting scale, and we finally have reached that I point mean, of the conversation. I will say, and and this is this is a true story. I'm sitting in the the draft room. We are in the the signing room, which we 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 do our our amateur contract signings in the Griffey room. And I'll sit with the the young players, and we'll we'll their families are all there. We've got photographers. Everybody's taken the you know. The, there's it's it's fun, and it's something they're going to remember all of their days, you know. And and Johnny Farmello is sitting at, at at the table when I walked in the door. He's he's already 
you know, sitting at the table. He looks sharp. His family all in. That, you know, I looked at I looked at his family. And I said, "Boy, it is really hard to tell that you guys are all related." <laughs> and it's just a it's a wonderful, you know, athletic, good-looking family. And and uh, and Johnny looks like a, a star. You know, it's a, he's just got that look. And I sat down at the table and I said to him, "In your time as a Mariner, you are going to come to know one of our broadcasters by the name of Aaron Goldsmith." I said. He is first going to comment on the flow of your name. <laughs> he's then going to comment on your flow. You win on both of these because he's got he's got a tremendous head of hair, and and frankly, then, he's and got then Aaron's going to say, "Show me your calves," <laughs> <laughs> and he'll win that one too. <laughs> it's funny you say all this because I met Johnny's parents, and I congratulated them on having a good-looking kid with a great name, a great head of hair, and what I assumed. Given his given his speed, were at worst seventy grade calves. So I'm assuming. I mean, you can't have that kind of speed with. with you can't. Calves. No, you can't yeah. have noodle calves. Yeah. You know, shapeless calves, which we know the direct correlation between either the size or the shape of the calf to the overall athletic ability <laughs> of right. a person. Okay. If we were just drafting calves, then I, the Ty Pete would have been very high on the list. Well, but I mean, first rounder. Another one. Ty yeah, Pete. First rounders. He's got the whole package. Yep. Okay. When I told them the great things about their son, they weren't like, oh, we can't believe this. They're like, yeah, we know. We get it, man. Look at him. He's yeah. banging balls yeah, in but, the seats. But, but they, Johnny Formello, it's like, the dude in the pen that everybody's trying to hang out with. And by right. the pen, I don't mean like the bullpen. I mean like it's a Friday night at oh, T-Mobile yeah. Park and the party in the pen. Like that's that's Johnny Farmello's territory out there, man. Like he's running rough shot out there. I, I believe that's probably an accurate description. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, everybody who's around him has their phone out and they're following Ty Pete because he's he is equally as entertaining. You're right. Ty, you would, be, Ty would be the same guy. Uh, hey, quickly, before we wrap things up, it's Hall of Fame weekend coming up and i just needed to let you know that mcgriff and roland were combined do you know what they were against you i do not one for seven wow yeah there was an intentional walk uh to front mcgriff i'm yeah. guessing this was pure strategy on your part there, well, not your choice probably no, wasn't my obviously. choice because obviously. i knew then that he was one for seven so i'm thinking eh, <laughs> yeah. why would we want to right do this? you're like hey skip come on <laughs> Yeah. I can go right after him. I don't really. I, I don't remember. Fa I remember facing Fred. I don't remember facing Scott Rowland much. Uh, yeah, three but, at bats. But but uh, Fred, I my and I think I've told you this story. Like my my hit. The story of my hit includes Fred McGriff. And when I say my hit, it was it was notable. It was a laser. You have a hit. Ah ah ah. Not many hits that would necessitate a hit rack, but we uh. I got one hit as a major leaguer. It was against Atlanta, and I, I get to first base. Fred McGriff was the first baseman, and I'm yelling as I get to first base, hey, get that ball, get the ball. And our first base coach was Clint Hurdle, who's got a booming voice. And Hurdle yells, hey, ball, ball. And they throw the ball over, you know, and Hurdle grabs it, flips it to, to the dugout. They get it. And, and Fred standing at first base, and he, and he taps me on the backside as he comes up to hold me on, and he said, Bro, is that your first hit? <laughs> because how old were you? I'm looking at your page now. I think I was you're 30. 29. You're 29. Yeah, age 29 like, season at least. So so he uh, he taps me on the backside and he said, dude, is that your first hit? And I said, yeah. 
said, <laughs> he said, "How long you been in this?" Thing? And I said, "I don't get to hit much." You know, it's a, it's, but he's he is, and, and as much that he's a Hall of Fame player, he was an awesome guy, and still is today, and and uh, just one of those class acts that the day you get to the ballpark, I could say the same about Scott Rowland, though I though I knew Fred a little bit better at the time. Well, you from know, all your interactions at first base with him, that's right. We were buddies at first base. You know that that one time. But, uh, yeah, he is, I mean, class act, I, I think, well-deserving of the Hall of Fame. I'm glad they got in. Was your, was your base hit? Did you have the helicopter finish? Like, I didn't have the helicopter finish, but the, you know, I, I, it was a line drive that was sizzled <laughs> through the through the box. Was it a hard hit ball, do you think? I think it was. You know, okay. it felt like it was a seed. I just closed my eyes and swung, and I got to first base. And, you know, as soon as, as soon as, he found out in coming to hold me on that it was in fact my first major league hit and this was my first trip on base in my major league career actually it was the first time i was on base since i was in high school <laughs> <laughs> and you know so so do it that way you will it's 12 or 13 years from between times on base and and uh, and he came up to hold me on and after we had the brief interaction on this being my first hit he patted me again and then backed up and, and <laughs> took it to the house. But we, uh, we, it gets down to a 3-2 count on the hitter who was Ellis Burks. And Ellis, Ellis winds up fouling off you know what must have it felt like a dozen pitches but i'm sure it was only like three and, and each time i have to start running <laughs> and I'm, it's colorado the air is thin as all get out i'm going out to pitch a second inning which was not a common thing and 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 ellis keeps fouling balls off and i'm running all the way down to second base and each time i, I ran back i would see the hurdle are you kidding me man let's go <laughs> there's a lot i love about this you pitch two and a third scoreless and what's impressive about this, this Atlanta team that you were pitching at, Lofton, oh, they were awesome. Chipper Jones, yeah. McGriff, yep. that's a good day. It was, uh, it was, any, it was. Any uh, punch outs for Jerry or was it just ground balls? Uh, a lot of ground balls. That's what I do. Yeah. Just wanted one punch out, you know? Get Chipper or somebody. Uh, there's, there might have been a, a Chipper day in there somewhere, although I'm guessing Chipper was not in the one for seven game. <laughs> there's, there's, I, I have vague recollections of it not being that comfortable. You know, there, there, you remember Joe Boringer, our, one of our former assistant yeah. general managers, longtime uh, uh, special assistant. Joe asked me in 2016, we're down in spring training, and, you know, it's shortly after we find out that Junior's going in the Hall of Fame. He comes in and he visits for a day, and it's Junior's the big smile. He's affable. He's holding court at a table down in the clubhouse. And uh, Joe's standing in the corner. He goes, do you ever face Junior? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, he said, what do you remember? I said, I, 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 I remember punching him out on a high heater in Colorado, and I was like, yeah. And, it, <laughs> and Joe said, so it went pretty good for you. And I said, yeah, I feel like it went all right. And, it, and Joe looks up to match up, and he goes, Dude, he had like an 1800 OPS. <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, it, uh, but I remember the one strikeout. You know, it's, you, you remember the good part. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I mean, he he did okay against you, Jer. But you weren't terrible against Chipper. Uh, really? Yeah, I mean, there weren't a ton of ABs. Uh, but against uh, Chipper, it was a two for six with three... Oh. The calm, all three walks. I was See, like, yeah. I was, I was three strikeouts. That's a, like a good approach. <laughs> yeah, good, That's yeah. a sensible approach. Yeah. So we'll call it five for nine. <laughs> it went well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, given who he is, you know, it's all right. Hey, Jared, uh, this is a fun one, man. We, we appreciate it as always. And uh, you're right about your draft picks this year. They were really fun to meet in person. And uh, we look forward to our next interaction with them. Uh, they all seem like really good dudes. And most importantly, great names. Which we now know. That's the separator.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.